Well, let's turn our attention to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. If you were here Wednesday night, uh, this will be a familiar text for you. We'll be looking at it from a a little bit different angle tonight. Uh, But let's read together Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. This is God's holy and inerrant word. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My soul longs for your salvation. Amen. Please be seated. There's a, a great YouTube channel out there called Old Things Never Die. <laughs> Old Things Never Die. And, and the, this, the channel is uh, videos of a man who takes old, worn-out games and various types of appliances that have long passed, are, are long past their useful life, and he restores them. And so at the end of the video, they look brand new. Uh, so he does all the work on, on them. He takes old games, waffle makers, heaters, you name it. If he can find it, he will take it and he brings them to a like, a like new quality. And so it's fascinating both to see um, the progress from, uh, from broken and rusty to new again, but it's also fascinating to watch all of the various steps that he takes and, and the expertise and the care that goes into uh, dipping these things in hydrochloric acid and spraying, spraying them with a sandblaster, creating all new parts from a 3D printer. Who would have imagined that? And so at the end of it, you get what looks like a brand, a brand new piece of equipment. One, one commenter, uh, on one of the videos said that he, ru- he ruined an antique. <laughs> That's I was thinking of, you know, way back to the game's creator who must have said, if you like it now, just wait 80 years till it's rusted and doesn't work anymore. Then it will be perfect. Yeah. But as we think about Rome, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you notice what it says. You are his workmanship. Think about that. There's a similar phrase in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 where we read, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. It's the same word. In his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 has a special reference, though, not to creation. Look back at the verse and notice what it says. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This is a reference to recreation. Every believer is God's workmanship in Christ. Every one of you are His workmanship in Christ. There's that phrase that we emphasized last week. Salvation, in other words, as Paul repeats over and over and over, is God's work. And so tonight, we are going to reflect on how redemption is not just according to God's decree. 
something that he planned from eternity past. It is also according to his work in time and space in the believer's life. If you belong to him, if you belong to him, he has worked on you. He is working on you, and He will work on you until He brings your salvation to completion. So we're going to look at this in three simple points. God is the author of salvation. God has established the steps of salvation, and God applies salvation only to the elect. But let's notice, first of all, that God is the author of salvation. Now, the way that the Westminster Confession, chapter 3, paragraph 6, puts this is it says, As God hath appointed the elect unto glory, so hath he, by the eternal and most free purpose of his will, foreordained all the means thereunto. That's a lot of words to say that what God planned in eternity, he works out in time and space. What God planned in eternity, he works out in time and space. And he has appointed all of the elect unto glory for the praise of the glory of his grace, as we looked at last week. But we read that tonight that he foreordained all the means thereunto. And what that means is that he didn't just say, well, I'm going to save a people. And it works out however it works out. But what we remember in this is that the very concept of salvation belongs to the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So there we see that in what Paul is, is explaining to us is that God has appointed these men to salvation and what comes uh, after that, that they would be sanctified by the Spirit, that they would believe the truth. In other words, what we're saying here is that there is not an eternally existing guidebook that advised divine beings what to do what they are to do if and when their plans don't work out. God didn't go to his library and take the, the, the self-help book down off the shelf to, and thumb through it and say, look through the index and say, salvation, salvation, what should I do? Ah, there it is. Everything that we teach about God's saving work is according to his plan. He has decreed it all. Why? Why would His Son die on the cross? Because that was His plan. Why redeem a people at all? That's His plan. Why sanctify? Why do it by His Spirit? That's His plan. All of this comes from God. It is His infinite wisdom that He is working out according to His own will. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says this, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. What Peter is working out there is all the things that God decided to do in and for His people in the work of salvation. 
All of this is according to his decree. When God says that he has decreed the end from the beginning, what he means is that he has decreed what the outcome will be and every detail that leads up to that outcome. He can assure you that his purposes will be accomplished because like a master builder, he has determined every detail. He has decreed all the little details. There's a, a statement that you've probably heard. Uh, have you, you, you've heard snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Usually we, we think about it the other way. We think of our, our favorite team maybe and they're down to the fourth quarter and they're going to get beaten and then suddenly they score 21 points in three minutes and they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Well, other men snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. You could probably raise your hand and say, it's happened to me before. In 1940, the Italians invaded Egypt and they made a master work of it. They gained 12 miles per day. Think of that in, in battle to, to advance 12 miles per day is a pretty significant um, is a pretty significant accomplishment. But, but what happened is in their overconfidence, they got spread out too thinly so that when the British came in, they utterly smashed the Italians. When the British attacked, they lost 600 men reclaiming Egypt from the Italians. But they killed 5,000 captured 125,000 men, took 420 tanks, 546 aircraft, and multiple cities. It sounds a little bit like a retreat from Afghanistan. But failing, think about this, failing to keep track of the details is devastating. If the Italians had only thought, well, what if somebody comes back and attacks us? But they didn't. So here's the point of that. God can assure you of a certain victory that He will preserve you into all eternity. Not because He's just planned the big picture, but because He has planned every detail of your salvation. What are those details? Well, secondly, God has established the steps of salvation. The confession continues, Wherefore, they who are elected being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ. Now, at this point, you remember that when we talk about elect angels and elect men, there's a key difference. The elect angels were preserved from falling. God kept them from following after Satan in his great rebellion. He kept them. But with reference to men, God determined to permit the fall. And in Adam, we all fell. That's a key component of the Scriptures. God decreed to permit the fall and to redeem an elect person out of that fall. So there's a key distinction between elect angels and elect men. And all of this was done to His glory. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 to 10, we read, for God has not destined us for wrath, key, key phrase here, but to obtain 
salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. You notice what, what Paul is saying there is that Jesus, through Christ you will get something that you don't presently have. And so even the elect are redeemed by Christ. We are fallen in Adam and redeemed by Christ. Titus 2 verse 14, referring to Christ who gave Himself for us to, and here's this phrase again, redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So redeem, you know this, you probably grew up with glass bottle Cokes that you could turn in and get a redemption price for. Jesus has redeemed you. It means to pay for. Christ has purchased you with His own blood. Here, the confession emphasizes the biblical teaching that Jesus specifically purchased a people for Himself. But it goes on, and it teaches us that the Spirit works only in the elect. It states it this way, the elect are justified, adopted, and sanctified and kept by His power. So what, what, we, what we're doing now is we're working through what we call the golden chain of salvation. If you've ever owned a, a gold chain, I've had one in my lifetime when I wanted to be really cool in junior high, there are links in a golden chain. And we use that as an illustration of the various aspects of how God saves us in time and space. He justifies us. He adopts us. He sanctifies us. And He preserves us. He effectually calls us to faith in Christ. In Romans 8.30, we learn, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. You see, this is what the confession is working out. He didn't just decide to save you in eternity past. In time and space, He calls you to Himself. The confession clarifies it with this phrase, working in due season. I want you to think about this for a second. God calls you to Himself at a certain point in your life. When Paul says that you are His workmanship, he means specifically you. In eternity past, when God determined to save you, He appointed the year and the month and the day and the hour that the Spirit would prevail upon your heart and draw you to Himself. It's not just a lump sum thing. I'll take these and set them apart. But He thought of you from eternity past and determined the moment of your salvation. Because this is a miraculous work of the Spirit, not dependent on any work of man. He may call you in the womb or on your deathbed as He may please. Two things. 
The Spirit initiated you in the faith, and He keeps you in the faith. This is God's plan worked out in time and space. He initiated you in the faith. He justified you. This means that He declared you righteous at the point where He calls you to Himself, gives you a heart of flesh, and enables you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in response to that, He says, not guilty. Declaring you righteous. He has adopted you. Here's another declaration of the Lord. You are my son. You are my daughter in Christ He sanctified you, set you apart unto God, and enabled you to obey God's righteous law. All of these things coming to you, He appointed them to you in eternity past. And all of them He sets before you in His sovereign plan. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, it says this, He predestined us for adoption as sons to Himself through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God shows you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The Spirit, according to God's eternal plan, initiates you in the faith by calling you, justifying you, adopting you, and sanctifying you, but He also sees to your preservation. He keeps you in the faith. The confession puts it this way, you are kept by His power through faith unto salvation. This is what Peter elaborates upon in his epistle, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. What's the key takeaway from this? That God, that you are His workmanship. He calls you to Himself. He justifies you. He sanctifies you. He adopts you. Makes all these legal declarations about you. And He's appointed all of these things to be worked out in your individual life, at your individual time. If there's one aspect of your salvation that is customized to you, it, it's these aspects. This is the moment where God intimately works in your individual life to call you to Himself, to give you new life in Christ. What's the key, what, key takeaway? Nobody can boast. In fact, men who boast generally demonstrate that they do not belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31 read, And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus. Because of Him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul continues this theme in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What makes you special? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast? as if you did not receive it. This is the reason, this is the reason that we never run out of reasons to gather on the Lord's day. Why? Why do we do it? To boast in Christ. 
And we love to boast in Him so much that we do it twice on Sundays. This is our delight. What do you have to rejoice in in this moment? What do you have to rejoice in in the darkest points of your life? Well, you rejoice that you belong to Christ and that He magnifies His precious love to you and that in your time, in the moment appointed to you, He called you to Himself. You're not a number. We, um, in the process of Jude's treatment, we have been treated at a big hospital where he was just a patient number, and sometimes we thought we were forgotten about. And maybe you've gone to college where you are overwhelmed by all the other students and you're just a number. There is no such thing as a believer who is just a number to God. He knew your name from all eternity. and set His love upon you. Thirdly, God applies salvation to the elect only. Some important negative aspects here. What about the non-elect? Those whom God has determined to pass over. The confession goes on, the reprobate, are not redeemed by Christ, are not effectually called, are not justified, are not adopted, are not sanctified, are not saved. They are not redeemed by Christ. What this means is that when Christ went to the cross, He did not shed His blood for any man whom He had not chosen. He died for His people. He gave Himself. He paid the purchase price for His elect and no more. They do not partake of any of the benefits of Jesus' priestly work. Think of John 17.9 where Jesus Himself is praying. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The benefits of salvation are only to those who are predestined by God. We find this in Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. There's this reference to all the fine details that God is working out specifically for whom? His people. For you. For his church. That's what we read in Psalm 31 tonight. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And implicit in that statement is, and he didn't do that for anybody else. The benefits of salvation are only to those who are predestined by God. Only those whom Christ foreknew are granted to come to the Father. John 6, verses 64 to 65. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And who it was who would betray Him. Verse 65. And He said... 
This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. In John chapter 10, verse 26, we learn that the status of sheep comes before the act of believing. John 10, 26. Jesus interacting with the Pharisees said, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now, there are some who would like to reverse that and say you are not a sheep because you do not believe, implying that if you would only believe, you would become a sheep. But Jesus doesn't reverse it. You do not believe because you are not one of my sheep. Men depart from the church, I'm sorry, belonging to God precedes one's ability to hear the word. Belonging to God precedes our ability to hear the word. This is from John 8, 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Apply that back to our passage from this morning in Matthew chapter 15. Why did the Pharisees go away? Because they were not of the sheep of Christ. Why do blind men follow them? Because they do not belong to Christ. Why do some men refuse to follow the Pharisees? Because they hear the voice of their Savior and they follow Him. Men depart from the church because they never belonged to Christ. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And the confession concludes this paragraph by saying, he applies these benefits to the elect only. Um, 20, 20 some odd years ago, I replied by mail and I became a member of the North American Fishing Club. Very elite, very elite status. It, I got a sticker in the mail and I put it on my car to signal to everybody in Prattville, Alabama that I was a serious fisherman. I got a magazine for, in return for my payment. It identified me as, as really good. But when I stopped paying my dues... I was out, and now the whole organization has gone defunct. This is not the case for membership in Christ's church. There are no dues to pay. Why? Because Christ has paid them for you. You belong to the church because Christ has paid the purchase price for you. There aren't any cool stickers. I'm sorry. But there is a badge. You are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And month by month, you come and you partake of the benefit of the Lord's Supper. And He strengthens you by His grace in it. God is in the business of renovation. What He decreed in eternity past, He brings to reality in the present. If you belong to Him, He is carefully crafting your life according to his word.
carefully crafting it. And you can go and, and watch the YouTube channel, and he does an even better job than that. He is carefully crafting your life to image his son. He's not doing this because of anything that you have contributed. And so that there's nothing that you can contribute that's going to stop him from doing it. Instead, he's doing it so that you will boast in Christ. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you, recognizing that, very importantly, there's nothing special about us apart from the fact that you have chosen to bestow your grace and mercy upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang this morning and last week, I think, why, why was I a guest? What, what singled us out? And we, we don't know. It certainly has nothing to do with us. But God, our God, as we think about it, how easily could have been our fate to go to hell, to be separated from you for all eternity. How can we stop praising your name that in eternity past you chose to save us, not for anything in ourselves, but only for the glory of your grace in Christ. We offer ourselves to you now, dear Father, not because we're wise, we are the nothings of this world, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we offer ourselves to you. Conform us to the image of Christ. We look forward, dear Father, to how you will craft us tomorrow and how you will craft us Tuesday and how you will craft us Wednesday and how on into eternity you will go on crafting us into the image of Christ. We bless you in his name. Amen.